There, Essie Land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, coming to you for episode number 79 of Twig's Essie Reflections. This is a podcast series for Essie students and practitioners everywhere, folks that are studying the psychobiological literature, applying the somatic healing arts to their work with clients. I'm here to talk with you about sleep, dreams, and offer up a good night wish. This little episode has a tiny little change in it. Rather than doing the tracking twig at the end of the show today, I'll go ahead and say a few things at the beginning. All thanks to Phyllis. Thank you, Phyllis. Shared with me on Facebook that it's it's a little hard to go to sleep listening to a podcast from Twig if at the end of the show he puts this get up, get up, get up message. So I'll just have a softer, gentler closure today and tell you I'm on my way. I'm actually in Arizona. I'm out here with my people doing a primitive skills gathering. Call that winter count. Winter count, that's a old phrase, an old term, an old idea to kind of keep track of the major events that happen in the wintertime and kind of mark that out on a buffalo robe and tell the story of what happened when. My people come out here in the desert every February. I'm back in Arizona for that. And usually... When I go traveling, my podcast, Twig's Reflection, takes a little stumble as it's hard to do this from the road outside of the studio. Here I am in my car up in Arroyo, seeing what I can do here for you, talking about sleep and such. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to Tucson, after Tucson, Los Angeles, later on, Berkeley, California. You don't know this. I know this. These are my last planned SE trips for some time to come. I've got a lot of other things in the world that I've been wanting to do, and so I'm looking forward to traveling down Tucson, Los Angeles, Berkeley, see all of you, anybody who wants to come out, my various different events, liberationispossible.org backslash schedule. You'll see what I'm up to, when and where, in the next month, and after that, I'll actually, hey, I'll be on my way to Bolivia for a little while, and uh, coming home in the spring summertime after that to take care of some other responsibilities i have for the world and myself so then episode 79 sleep dreams a good night wish let's go to dreams dreams you know there are just so many different points of view about dreams you know from jungian and freudian analysis different styles there different interpretations but definitely a whole world of worth and value over in the more kind of spiritual-esque, I don't know if that's true, but somewhere out there there's there's all kinds of other stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm hip to. And uh, like Robert Moss, you guys know Robert Moss? I got turned on to him in Brazil, although he's from the United States. I love it. Journeying, dream journeying, and otherworldliness, and the other side of mm, the veil. Love it. Also, um, I don't know, do you know this? Evolutionary psychologists, they mostly think that it's just a screensaver kind of event in the brain at night, just kind of holding space, making sure things don't get locked up in a way. Um, they don't they don't see the woo-woo value that so many of us do. In the SE world, I, I take this cue from a lot of folks, but mostly from Robert Scare, Dr. Robert Scare, who had, kind of points out a very obvious thing for some of us, that dreams 
don't have to, but at least a lot of times seem to incorporate daily events and interweave them, intersperse them, create a dynamic with other events and experiences that we've had and kind of integrate what he would name, I think, as survival value. Things that, you know, essentially our organism needs to remember or have in place for um, the purpose of reusing at some other point in time. So it's kind of an integrative process for survival value. There is no question that there are a lot of opinions and a lot of perspectives on what dreams are doing, what they're good for, all of that, how to interpret them. If I can, I'd like to step way sideways of all of that, say, I don't know, I don't know. But I do know that in sessions, we can use dreams to great effect. There are times when people come in to our sessions, they reflect on, oh, I had this dream. Oh, I had this dream last night. Oh my gosh, this image in my dream. When we hear that, there's a a bit of an organizing principle there. One, it's an interest. It's a curiosity. It's something that your client is bringing forward of their own. That's, That's always worth paying some attention to, if not turning the entire hour toward. Whenever somebody brings something forward like that, we want to ourselves be curious about it. Also, dreams having kind of a felt sense quality to them, an image state quality to them, they give good access to felt sense experience. We can ask about what we see. Well, you, you had this dream. What do you remember? What did you see? It can work very much like the memory in any kind of image sequence from an accident, from an event, from a good time, from a bad time. So there is this nice quality inside of dreams when people are recounting them that we can also we can often run them through much like a time series, right? Like a T series. Oh, that's what happens then. Oh, can you see that? Oh, you can see that. Oh, what of that can you see? Oh, what are some of the details? We kind of draw out the details, help to build up the state dependency, help to bring out the state, elicit the feelings, the associations. Oh, you see that. Oh, and as you see that, what, um, can you tell me, what do you notice now? Is that possible to say anything about what you notice? You have to draw that out enough. You have to get the state, the, the feelings, the, the kind of, the, you know, the passion of it ripened enough before you turn toward, can you tell what you notice now as a response? to that dream sequence, to that image sequence, and it can be done. It can be done very nicely. You can run through traditional time sequence, you know, one thing to the next. You can just hit the highlights. You can ask for any kind of bigger things that stand out. Lots of options. And like classic image sequences in SE, you can enter into, you can enter into the dialogue, the investigation, the pulling out the image, to slow it down, to see the different details, the nuances. By the way, you don't have to slow it down. That's not like a prerequisite or a requirement. So when you ask for the slowing down, if you get a kind of rebuff or a slowdown in the person's response to you, you know, you could step away from that request always to slow things down. And there's something else I want to say here about dreams. You can hear A lot of times, it's not universal, it's not all the time, and you kind of have to be paying attention, but you can hear those survival responses that Bob Scare might mention, as I was talking about before, those survival responses, that incorporation of survival behavior. You can hear that, and that is the kind of, that's the jewel 
the gold, you know, inside of our work, at least inside of my work. When I hear somebody say, oh, I tried to run, I tried to scream, I wanted to jump, I wanted to push back, I, I remember driving really fast, I remember going really fast, I remember running away, I was trying to get away. When we hear those different activities of action, fr- freeze, immobility, when we hear fight-flight kinds of behavior, oh, wow, what an opportunity to engage that at a distance with a spark, a spark of curiosity and interest, as in this happened in the dream. Challenging sometimes. People see violence and they think they don't want to be violent. And they, you know, a lot of times you're on the receiving side of that violence in dreams. A lot of people, Stephen Hoskinson always used to point this out, a lot of people could point out that these sides, like the violence in the dream, is a reflection of the, your own psyche, the client's psyche. So it's, it doesn't have to be like I was receiving this violence all the time, although it feels that way for some people. There's a, um, maybe there's tricks or kind of how you bring the allowance of watching violence, particularly if it's ooh, perceived to be violence against the self. Maybe you have to kind of turn that. But there is this real, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, um, this real positive quality that can come toward grabbing those self-protective survival responses that are presented, elicited, remembered from dream states and trying to run those out, trying to create the context in your session where a person can allow themselves to see that, perhaps allow themselves to feel that in a kind of felt sense embodied way physically, um, but definitely, definitely to to notice that and here to try to see if there's a sequence, a pattern, a change over time. A lot of folks, when they come into our sessions and they do a series, a course of work with us over a period of time, sometimes this is years, but sometimes you can see it a little faster. There's there's a sometimes a kind of a sequence where you can see the stereotypical pattern of the stress response, particularly the arrested stress response, you can see that kind of change in people's dreamscapes over time. I think this is likely only going to happen if the client, you know, this imaginary client that's going to have that change is experiencing the renegotiation of past traumatic stressors, of the reestablishment of self-protective responses in daily life, maybe some practice and experience of increased efficacy in daily life. I think those are going to come at least at the same time, if not before. You see these dream sequences started to change. But you can watch, and it's worth listening for so that you can help mark this out over time. Dreams that change from, dreamscapes or dream patterns that change from, freeze immobility signals I wanted to scream, I couldn't. I screamed, but nothing came out. I wanted to run, but I couldn't. I tried to push back, but the dream ended. I was falling, and I was trying to fly, and I couldn't move my arms. You hear those freeze kind of things. And maybe a couple months later, there's more movement in the dreams. There's more activity. There's speeding cars, or flying airplanes, or 
jumping, boinging over buildings really fast. Um, There's increased movement. Sometimes there's increased sociability, socialization, more people in the dreams, less um, fight, flight, me, other, and more like group activities or even shifting in between different people, becoming temporarily different people, more people. It's, it's really quite, well, it's, it's lovely. And having gone through that sequence personally myself, it's refreshing. You know, you could have decades. Some of us certainly would have decades of dreams of feeling ineffectual and disempowered and waking up before the crash. And those can change. Um, it's really nice when those become you know, you, you see yourself fighting back or you see yourself getting away or you, you, you know, you wake up before the crash rather than at the moment of impact, then, then to have dreams just settle out and become more nuanced or elegant, maybe is a word for it, more spacious. Hmm. Lovely. It can happen. It happens. I suspect it happens largely because the system, nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is less compelled or confounded by incomplete self-protective responses. And so therefore, in the dreamscape, as per Bob Scare's message, the, the kind of incorporation of self-protective responses are more integral and um, successful. You kind of maybe pick up on a, a daily event and you feel a little bit more efficacious about that. It kind of comes into your dreams and you don't feel quite so stilted and stunned. Well, that that was some little rap on dreams that I've wanted to say. I don't know what they're about. I think they're a mystery. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and personally sit with the mystery. And um, unfortunately, I've read a lot of science. So, or fortunately, so I can also kind of go with the evolutionary psychologist and and realize that it it may just be the brain going off, but it certainly is a beautiful way that the brain goes off. Well, then there's sleep. You know, back at episode 37, episode 37, my SE Reflections, Twig's SE Reflections, where do you find that? Liberationispossible.org backslash reflections, and you go into the archive and look for episode 37, and that was on choice points. I w- had been looking at choice points. We Choice points are a critical thing in our sessions. They're, they're just countless. You're walking on a trail, and it's constantly splitting. You have to choose which way you're going to go. Are you going to ask somebody to feel this more? Are you going to ask somebody to feel this less? Are you going to switch the channel, a sidebam channel? Can you see that? Can you feel that? You're going to invite them to feel the deactivation longer. You're going to invite them to look around again so they don't feel the deactivation as long. All kinds of choice points that we're making. And back in episode 37, I mentioned that sometimes it's worth talking with clients about the choice point about when they go to sleep. A lot of folks will find that, you know, that it's by midnight, 1 a.m., it's very, very hard to go to sleep. And sometimes when you track back through the sequence of their evening, and chat it up as it were, you can find out that earlier, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m., there were hints of actively, actually being tired. And 
there will be a somewhat kind of you know commonplace of people well it's seven o'clock in the evening it's too early to go to sleep i'm not going to go to sleep yet so we watch tv or we read books or clean the kitchen we you know do paperwork we do stuff and stay up until maybe the second wave a couple hours later 9 p.m 10 p.m of oh i'm kind of tired and yet maybe it's still too early or now we're getting toward that window of repetition where it's been hard to go to sleep before so i'll kind of put it off a little bit and find ourselves up until midnight again having the same feeling i can't get to sleep so in that episode i was kind of advocating that we at least look for and try to help people see if there are these earlier choice points that they may help choose to go to sleep at an earlier time or it's not exactly an earlier time is what i mean but at the felt sense signal time that their body is saying now is when i would go to sleep if you weren't going to run your your electricity and rules and regs and all the extra work that you have to do on me our bodies might actually tell us more often when we should go to sleep and it might actually be a lot easier to get to sleep if we follow those messages well okay of course not everybody's going to do that not everybody can do that um, not everybody even feels those signals you know some people just really do feel the up the whole time maybe they get the little signal in the middle of the day that they're tired and maybe that's you know like a good time to drink some caffeine to try to keep things going which kind of messes everything up that's something if you if you could say okay well you notice you're tired in the middle of the day is it possible the structure to put in a nap so that we could at least have a little less confusion of your body always not getting to do the thing that it's trying to do i mean get some sleep and then stay awake confused not able to get sleep at the hour that we say we should go to sleep okay then i got you know i must be able to say something about helping people get better sleep okay i can i can say that there's there's a whole industry out there you know you can you can go to any strip mall in america or probably around the world and find out that there's a drugstore on every corner ready to sell all kinds of sleeping aids and medicines to kind of put us down and of course a lot of us use those and need to use those okay it's a real deal a lot of people don't get enough sleep you know some some cultures have a real you know pretty busy others um well we keep ourselves awake with electricity and bright lights and and flashing flashing things in front of our face uh, on the television movement lots of movement that keeps us attracted to the television which is of course not not at all the kind of thing that supports going to sleep you know candlelight and darkness um, going you know early to bed early to rise the, you know those things quieting down singing songs simplifying the the space and the time those things aid going to sleep at the natural kind of with the rhythm of things and we we do stuff so i could i could name a few self-care things of course diminishing the signal from outside often helps people go to sleep so loud noises often makes it difficult to go to sleep therefore a lot of people wear earplugs not everybody does and not even everybody knows that that's possible but in our loud world 
even for some folks in a quiet space, having earplugs might make a difference. An eye pad or an eye mask, an eye cover, some kind of, you know, people pull their shirt over their eyes or get an actual mask. For somebody who's having a hard time going to sleep, I'd say, why don't, why don't you try all of these things? Why don't, you know, and, and, and mix and match them and, and, you know, don't, don't look at any single self-care technique as something that's going to put you to sleep. Use it all as a, as a culture. You're cultivating for yourself the, you know, the environment that you're going to help train your body to remember that sleep is a daily natural responsibility and opportunity. Okay, an eye mask. I'm, I'm fond of the ostrich pillow. I'm always reluctant to recommend it. Um, but it's from an independent design studio in England, the Ostrich Pillow. They've got two versions, the full and the light. It's a, it, it's really quite cozy and comfortable. It kind of slips over your head and um, kind of gives a nice pressure around the eyes, the zygomatic arch, you know, our cheekbones, and gets a nice, nice kind of feeling there and dims the sound of the environment a little bit by going over our ears, um, the Ostrich Pillow. I'm reluctant to recommend it because it's filled with little tiny plastic beads, little foamy beads, and makes for perfect comfort. And I, I, I just don't know why they chose chose that material. The planet is choking with plastic. Um, but it's out there. I have one. There you go. The ostrich pillow. There's another self-care tool out there that I, I saw years ago, and I'd heard about it from a friend in Scandinavia before this, and then I saw it in Whole Foods, and I was like, I, I bet that works. And it's a, I think they sometimes like generically call it a bed of nails. It's like a, a f mat. It's a thin mat, not like a yoga mat, but almost like a yoga mat. And it's got these little plastic spiky things that are glued to it. You lay on it with your bare skin. It, brings all kinds of blood along to the surface of your skin. Really, really parasympathetic inducing. 15, 20 minutes on that, which is about the time that the parasympathetic system needs to get turned on. 15, 20 minutes laying on that thing, it just puts people out. I've shared it with a lot of friends and folks. It works. I, I like it. It's a little trippy. It's a little mm, spiky, a little odd that you're going to put this on your bare skin, but it really feels pretty diffuse pretty quickly. The company, the brand that I have is, it's spelled S-P-O-O-N-K, Spunk, and um, I don't know. It's it's out there on the internet, those kinds of things, a bed of nails. That's a self-care thing. The thing is, there are countless, forever endless self-care tricks and tools for helping people go to sleep. I don't know if you really need many more from me. Um, I'll say that, of course, there are tons and tons of plants. Not that our SE Reflections is all about alternative care and everything, but just to note, there are classic valerian root and um, chamomile tea and kava kava. Like, there's just, like, varying different degrees of plant medicines that are helpful to kind of slowing things down and helping given the drowsy feeling. And... Of course, there's tons of prescription drugs and Ambien and all kinds of things that actually other people know far more about than I do. We 
all know, but sometimes our clients need to be reminded that exercise really matters for sleep. It really, truly matters. It helps to, you know, kind of provide the pendulum that says, oh, I did that, now I'll do this. Exercise, um, even if that just means walking, even if that just means walking a little bit, even if it just means doing something. Another one that I often think about is, it's not just exercise, but satisfaction. Satisfaction of the day, like having some sense of having done something that had a start, a beginning, you know, um, a middle, the thing you were doing, and a closure, an end, and having some satisfaction so that we don't always just have the continuous feeling of things running on, and we're going to try to let down in the midst of that when really we kind of feel like everything's just moving forward. So breaking tasks down into things that can have some sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, completion within a day, even if it's, you know, a small piece of a broader project or responsibility may, like exercise, help to signal, oh, I did that and now I can do this other thing. Back in Yosemite, I I used to do rock climbing in Yosemite and there was a, a phrase that people would say, I think I've said this on the podcast before, it's like, no steep if you don't get sleep, you know, no no steep, no steep walls if you don't get sleep. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a thing. Exercise it can can put you down. Of course, you don't want to run yourself out in order to uh, affect sleep. You kind of hope for a, a slightly smoother rhythm. And so maybe that's more important for me to reflect on with you here than self-care devices or drugs and such is that how we attend to our sleep space and to our felt sense experience as we're going to sleep or as we're trying to head towards sleep, I think that probably matters. You know, if if we're looking for a, an abrupt drop-off from awake to asleep, kind of like a knockout, which happens, and sometimes it's obviously how we've you know, somebody might become accustomed to or their nervous system's accustomed to, like, I, I run, run, run until I collapse. Okay, there's that. Um, there's also, like, kind of like doing a gentler sweeping motion towards sleep where it's kind of like we do the activities that start to remind our body that we're headed towards sleep. You know, we, we make our toilet, um, brush our teeth, and kind of get coffee on the you know saucers out for breakfast we we prepare tomorrow so that we don't have to think so much in the morning i don't know if you know this but out in silicon valley where they're really studying choice choice architecture and um what what else is that that's uh decision fatigue you know all the all the big startup folks that they got these big things about morning routines and making sure that they don't have to make any decisions early in the morning so that they can save all their decision-making power for later in the day. Some of that is setting out your clothes for tomorrow morning the night before so that you're kind of able to just get up. But it's also perhaps a kind of a message. I'm done with this day, and I'm closing this up, and I'm going to find out what my dreams are going to be about. That maybe we could call that a conning in process, you know, kind of like a doing your motions may in fact be um, slow to help, slow to work. Maybe we could still do them and end up laying in bed 
checking out the ceiling and thinking about all the other things left undone. It could be that it doesn't work. But as a pattern, we generally know, or kind of as a kind of a cultural thing, we know that when you do things in order to prepare yourself for an activity, you help affect that activity in the direction you want it to go. So if you're going to take a test, if you think about taking a test beforehand, you imagine yourself as a professor who has passed the test and been kind of sanctioned for being a smart person to talk from the front of the room. If you kind of prepare yourself in these kind of imagistic ways, you'll feel more comfortable when you go to take the test than if you just go in cold. If you, um, you know, you're going to go to the gym and work out, you're going to warm up your muscles and do your movements, kind of mimic the movements before you do them. That helps you do the activity better. It could be that helping to make a kind of a stepwise process that informs the felt sense, I'm headed toward bed, might be important to help your clients recognize if they don't do that, that they might do that, help them see the various different steps that they might take, you know, make their bed as comfortable as possible, maybe, you know, as it was, turn back the covers or turn down the lights. You know, that's, that's a big thing. It's like there's the whole melatonin-serotonin relationship out there. I don't know if, if you know about it so much, but there's a real thing, like serotonin's helping you wake up and melatonin's helping you go to sleep. These are really light-affected. has a big deal to do with how much light is coming through the eyes. Some folks would even say how much light is coming through the skin. I can't say much to that, but definitely coming through the eyes and kind of hitting the brain and kind of stimulating things. It's a very different kind of thing than living near candlelight and having things be dark and feeling the drowsiness. People go to sleep in the wintertime in dark places. It's true. It happens. And they go to sleep early. It, um, it makes a difference if you're in the dark or staring at a, at a screen. And it's just, you know, some of our clients that are having a hard time going to sleep, it could be a whole negotiation on whether or not they're going to watch the modern television, which that's a, that's a nice thing that Bob Scared said too one time, huh? Um, in an interview I did with him, which is actually on liberationispossible.org at SE Reflections. Let's see. He said, you know, these, these television shows are compelling. They're compelling to the nervous system. The, um, I don't know. Do you know this? There's a whole thing in television that they don't allow screens to stay the same shot for more than a few seconds. You can watch almost any television show you're going to watch, and it's going to be like one, two, three, and it's going to cut or pan or shift or have some change of perspective. It's because it's very boring to the nervous system. And actually, we, we found out, television found out back in the 70s that people want to go to sleep and get bored if it doesn't constantly keep moving. That's that movement system that's meant to grab your attention. And it's being used by television. If we're watching, you know, these dynamic shows that are so compelling at 10 p.m. at night, I don't know. Is that really, is that going to lean toward like dropping off to sleep? I guess it's going to lean toward, maybe maybe it could lean toward the, the cliff. You know, I'm, I'm exhausted and then I just fall asleep. I used to fall asleep as a child in front of the television. That's kind of how I did it. It it happens. You know, that's one pattern. I'm just kind of naming things out. 
Well, the felt sense, the kind of tracking of oneself as they're entering bed, I think that's a thing. And a friend of mine, Ken, Ken would say, yeah, but what do you do when what you end up tracking is these disquieting sensations, things that, you know, you're normally at this point for some people, some clients were trying to help keep their attention away from reinforcing those things. As I was kind of like getting it in episode 78, like, you know, how much, how much of this do you want to pay attention to? And sometimes you have to avoid the text. Sometimes you have to pay attention to it. Well, here I'm about to say it, that there's, there's kind of like felt sense tracking tips or tricks for when you lay down. Uh, one, let me go back a step and say, you know, the, uh, the bed where we're going to sleep, where we're going to sleep should be associated just to sleeping. Shouldn't it be associated to reading in bed or um, watching television in the same space? Partic- I mean, maybe it's fine. And if it's an issue, reading should be done in a chair and or in some other space. And then the movement toward bed should... I guess this is this is what they say, and so I go with it. And this one makes complete sense to me as far as a conditioning paradigm. You want to have your bed conditioned to sleep and not confused by, am I sleeping here, am I reading here, am I staying up here? So if you're having a hard time, if a client is having a hard time not going to sleep, they might need to, um, no, if they're having a hard time getting to sleep while they're in bed, they might need to know that it's kind of important to get out of bed get tired again before trying to reinforce that bed is associated to sleep. So going back, felt sense when we're getting into bed, I don't know, what would I, what would I say if, you know, if you were having a hard time feeling yourself while you're getting just in your daily life, would I say like you want to track yourself going to sleep? Probably not, you know, maybe, maybe that's a time when you really have some aid, you know, maybe some medicine or or some kind of plant support. Maybe that's when exercise is a really big help. Um, maybe this is just going to be hard. Um, I, I have to say, some of us go through times, extended times, that are going to be hard. And if we are going to sleep and it's okay to do it, it's great to practice some felt sense tracking, tracking of gravity the length of our body in the bed. Um, I happen to know that a lot of people, when they go to sleep, they have their jaw clenched. They maybe find the first position that they lay into as the position that is like how they're going to go to sleep. They don't look for the most comfortable or most released or most at easeness that they can find before they start to let themselves drift off. I always think of the... California sea lions. You ever stop there along the California coast and you can see, I think, elephant seals out there maybe that are, uh, or maybe they're California sea lions. Maybe it's both. You can see them kind of rolling on one another and laying into one another. And every once in a while they get up and shift around there in a big cuddle puddle kind of thing along the beach. And they're kind of boisterous and make a lot of noise as they wake each other up and such but when they settle down on each other you can really see them shift looking for the next best position and they really let themselves lean into each other 
and it, you know, I, I, I guess I've just seen this so many times in, in myself, but in clients too, it's like, you can tell that there's a certain levitation that can happen for folks when they get into their bed. It's almost like the, the letting down neck muscles and facial muscles, the jaw, like even giving permission for, um, letting down into gravity, it, it kind of can, it can get missed or not allowed or not, not trained up or whatever. So there will be sometimes when we're talking with clients about this, a kind of coaching or suggestive process of, you know, when you get into bed, maybe you just kind of look for not just the, you know, the right amount of cover on top of you so that you've got the right warmth there, but maybe also the best position for your pillow, the best uh, initial position for your head and neck in relationship to the pillow. And then maybe you, after you've kind of like played for a moment or two with different body positions, then you start to play inside with maybe letting your lower back relax or your, your bum to like, if it's holding a little extra, maybe you let that go a little bit. Or if you notice your jaw holding a little tight, maybe you let that go a little bit. You notice your eyes maybe kind of still pinching and holding the thoughts of the day. Maybe this is a time to realize that, you know, there are no more thoughts that are going to matter. Not going to matter for tomorrow. Like these thoughts, these ones are just going to drift away anyway. So now's a time to start to purposely let them go and instead turn the attention, which is always limited. We always only have so much attention to turn what attention you do have into just feeling any amount of softening or not tightening or letting go of the tightness of your face, your hands, your arms, your shoulders, your legs that you might do. Another coaching is to spread out the attention, like to feel the length of the bed, the length of contact from the back, the side, the shoulder, whatever, down the length of the bed. The, um, the limit on some people's attention will be like, well, I can't feel my whole body. I can only feel this one part. Well, you know, you just can kind of say yes and to that. You can just turn with that, right? Well, you notice that area having gravity and contact with the bed, and maybe you just kind of let yourself notice another part maybe your hips, and you let those have a little gravity and weight with the bed and contact. And, and you can just kind of move yourself in your attention around to different areas of your body and just feel gravity at all these different stages or places or locations. And you don't have to leave any of them or stay anywhere longer than you want. And you you don't have to leave earlier. You don't have to make it like a round. You could just find one and this kind of works and you just kind of continue to feel that. I don't know. Maybe it helps. Maybe you just find yourself a few minutes later thinking again. It could happen. That could definitely happen. It might take several rounds. It might not happen. It might require getting up and doing something else and trying to recondition to going to bed. I don't know. It's worth worth helping folks investigate it though and if nothing else it helps you to kind of 
be curious about the felt sense and what your body feels. I don't know. There's so many more. There's so many more. You know, here's the thing. I'm going to step back a couple steps to thoughts and light before going to bed. You know, there's a lot of research out there about reading from tablets and iPhones and these things before dark, even with the dark, before sleep, even with the dark screens on, which is kind of a bummer because those are so helpful. And, um, well, I guess there's, there's just a lot of light coming through and it has a huge sleep quality thing. Just checking email, I think has a sleep quality thing. I, 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 not that I don't ever do that. I, I do. Um, but I definitely know that if I'm in a troubled time or if one of my clients is in a troubled time and we're trying to help them get more sleep, I I kind of make a thing about like, let's see if there's a time limit at the end of the day, some place in there. Could be six o'clock, could be seven. I heard about this doctor over in Congo from my friend Toss, who this man was interrupted every day, all day and all night in DR Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. He was in Kinshasa. He's a doctor. And he was always, always being interrupted, people asking for help, and even at nighttime. And he finally made a policy of turning off his phone at 7 p.m. at night, and he, he made like a, a big declaration of it. He unplugged it, and he said, if I don't protect my night and get some sleep, then I'm going to die and not be any good to anybody. And so he just made this kind of brick wall at 7 p.m. where you can't contact him anymore and he can have his his rest and sleep and, and that was necessary. Well, you know, I know a lot of us are busy and we got a lot of things to do and stuff, but wow, email, it's it's like a it's like a landmine. You know, it's like a minefield out there. You just you never know what's gonna be in it and if it's a troubled time for somebody a lot of times what's going to be in it is arresting or arousing, activating. And so trying to check email in the evening time, even if nothing, you know, invigorating comes, just the the process of it could simply reiterate that, you know, what I'm anticipating here is some kind of problem. could be that we need to enforce that, create that brick wall safety, that some kind of, some kind of firewall that says, you know, 8 p.m., it's not it's not going to happen. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Okay. Moving forward, moving forward. What else could I say? I know that I could say that out there, you know, there are people, some of you actually, some of you I know are specialists in helping people go to sleep. And so you know, you know far more about this than I do, really. And that might not be all of you though. <laughs> One thing that they say in sleep recommendations is to make sure that the wake-up time is the same every day. To make it, make sure that the wake-up time is the same every day. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the going to sleep time is going to get to be the same because people, particularly with like classic real insomnia, you know, it's like the idea is that they can't get to sleep. And yet, a lot of times, a lot of people do eventually get to sleep. And one of the regulating influences on helping the body get to more sleep is to make sure that the wake-up time is the same so that then there'll be like a period of time of awakeness afterwards, you know, through the day, which eventually, hopefully, will signal to the body, hey, you know, this is long enough, not having enough sleep, and people start to go to sleep 
earlier. So, you know, you can you can say, I'm going to have the same bedtime. I'm going to get to bed by 10.30 at night. Okay, you're going to get to bed at 10.30 at night? Neat, wonderful. You could be in bed at 10.30 at night, waiting for hours and hours before finally going to sleep. So one, you know, sleep recommendation that's out there classically and like kind of helping people get out of their insomnia is to wake up at the same time every day. And ideally, sure, like I was saying, like kind of create that process of going to sleep. And I would actually say that the more regulated that is, the more sequential that is, probably the better, no doubt. And okay, if nothing else, wake up at the same time. I'll step back over into the felt sense tracking going to sleep. The funnest felt sense tracking sleep pattern that I was ever taught was one of my somatic massage teachers, um, bodywork teacher, taught me this one about kind of, you know, you could do guided um, felt sense kind of stuff, right? We could like imagine certain kinds of things. We could count sheep as far as that goes. Well, what she taught me was this uh, one where you imagine yourself as in a funnel, like a funil in, in, in Portuguese. It's like a funnel where, you know, like a, a kind of a cone that is wide and gets ever so slightly narrower. It's like a wide spectrum. So you kind of just hold yourself, your attention wide and just slowly start to help things drift down to a narrower sense of attention until your consciousness just kind of slips through the end of the funnel and off you go. There's so many more, right? There's so many more. There's all kinds of lucid dreaming patterns and, you know, um, imagine this, imagine that. I like the funnel when I need to get there. Hmm. Which, which reminds me, like another, another bodywork thing, um, you know about lymphatic drainage massage, which is just really great stuff. And so just underneath our skin, we have this whole other fluid system called the lymph system, lymphatic, lymphatic system. And the massage, the mechanical massage for that is a very gentle, usually there's a couple different patterns for it, but there, it's usually a, a very gentle very low weight, little rhythmic, um, almost pulsatory movement, or kind of, it doesn't go as fast as you think of as the heart pulse, but it, it does have a little push and let go kind of movement. Uh, one of my bodywork teachers taught me one where you kind of like lay your fingertips on your, on your upper chest, which, which is an area where, um, along your sternum, where a lot of your lymph system goes, and you kind of do this little pumping action slowly, rhythmically, over time. Great, great to fall asleep to. The point that I'm getting to finally here is that there are a lot of techniques out there. And what I'd like to say is that probably none of them are going to work all the time. None of them are going to work every night. None of them are going to work in every season. None of them are going to work with consistency, particularly for somebody who has turbulence or difficulty going to sleep. And like with other kinds of things like that, not every th anxiety fix is going to work every time somebody has the feeling of anxiety or a panic attack. It's not going to work every single time. And I think I'll probably do another episode on Milton Erickson's list, but I'll say, like he, you know, Milton Erickson, 
I'm in Arizona. Why not say it? Milton Erickson used to maintain a list of things that he could do during the day to help minimize his pain, which he lived with as a result of his polio when he was a child. And that list of his, of all these different things he could do, was it was something that he knew when it, not a single thing would work all the time. So he maintained this list that helped him to kind of sequence through to find something that would work with sleep and all these different kind of techniques that we could amass and collect and be ready to share with people. One of the bigger messages that we would want to share is that if one technique doesn't work, we can't allow that not workingness, that failure to work as being another reason to be upset and stressed out. Instead, we would want to just use that as part of the culture or cultivation that we're doing in order to work on our behalf and help us find some sleep, which is going to be so relieving once we finally start finding some sleep. It really matters if our organism is getting some sleep and we can find a lot more safety and ease and neuroception of safety if our body is getting sufficient or more sleep. So it's like there's a real goal to get sleep, but if something doesn't work in order to help us get it, it doesn't mean that we you know, kind of don't want to reinforce, oh no, now I can't get to sleep. I know it's painful. It's just part of what we're going to need to do. We're going to need to have a lot of different options and be willing to be flexible, including sometimes, apparently, for some folks, I know this all too well myself, we're not going to get sleep all the time. Some of our clients won't always get sleep. We might need to um, to be okay with that. The number one thing that I know in my experience because of SE, only because of SE, I wouldn't have known this without it. I would have had a lot of these techniques without it. I would have had collected all of these different massage techniques and, and even the felt sense tracking ones. But the thing I would not have known until SE is that the consistency of success or a increasing sense of success at the nervous system being able to do a task without confusion to another task is I think probably the the central improvement that I've seen in people getting more sleep because of any kind of work that I've been able to do with them from an SE perspective, which is to say that one of the, you know, kind of central features of having poor sleep or no sleep or no sleep at night and the desire to sleep at some other time of the day when it's not permitted, not going to be okay, is like a confusion of signal where I feel tired, I go to bed, I lay down, I want to wake up again. My body won't let me down. There's a confusion of should I be resting now or should I be awake? Oh, should I be awake now or should I be trying to fall asleep? And that confusion represents or looks just like any imagination I've ever had of what autonomic nervous system dysregulation looks like. Whereas rather than one signal leading intelligently and coherently to the next signal as a kind of um, arc and guide, you know, sleep has a cycle, the stress response has a cycle, the daily round has a cycle, and 
each piece of those is in a way kind of meant to signal that the next one should happen and the consistency of that moving through well it you know it kind of improves biological experience like your the experience of your biology of your organism and incomplete self-protective responses amongst you know conditioning and and training or just dysregulation but incomplete self-protective responses have an amazing impact on that confusion of signal you know it's like you you you're you're feeling you're feeling the the heaviness of freeze as in a session and simultaneously feeling fear you know fear overcoupled with immobility we want to separate those so that they're more of their own the fear is its own flight pattern and the freeze is its own passive immobility pattern as compared to the overcoupling of fear and immobility that confusion of signal two different things trying to happen at the same time is wildly wildly disorganizing and bothersome let's <laughs> just call it bothersome it's just like this is in the way of the feeling of success and coherence and progression so to the extent that in our session work we're able to help complete incomplete self-protective responses and to help create a more consistent feeling of this leads to that leads to that and this sequence of connected things in a storyline in a conversation in a tracking of a feeling state in looking around the room the more that things become like a consistent united not not necessarily uniform but united like related associated in themselves kind of a whole you know even if it's made up of lots of parts but without the confusion of other signals that are unrelated other signals that are in conflict other signals that are distracting you know those those might all be there and we can definitely have to learn how to dance with those and relate to all of the confusion and when you see people completing self-protective responses one they'll have to be a certain kind of you know movement and progression so that'll just be part of the completion process kind of even if it's very small and might need to be very small in order to be successful and not confused by some other thing to do but as you see that regulation come forward from enhanced you know tracking one thing leading to the next without that confusion other things start to do the same thing people can have more consistent thoughts they can remember longer sequences of memories they can stay on task when they're doing something with less less intrusion of other thoughts and activities not that some of us don't want to do you know so many things at once anyway but it definitely can be a thing that people become can become more self-regulating and as that self-regulating influence comes in people sleep better there i mean i'll just i'll say it i'll say it again when that self-regulating influence comes in people sleep better doesn't mean that they sleep as much as they want to sleep doesn't mean that they sleep as much as they're ever going to get to sleep when it 
first happens and it starts to increase and it develops over time, particularly those of us that have had complex trauma stuff, it's like it can take quite a while to both get up to speed and notice it, to get traction and feel the change, to get the influence of having had more sleep and helping that calm things down so that just the, the sense of agitation is lower because the organism is getting a bit more recovery time. It, you know, all of those feed on each other long before the, you know, what I called the upward trend, long before things get really, really just improving on themselves, they, they can improve to the point where it becomes noticeable. And it's something that I have seen over and over again that people will report, oh, you know, I just, I didn't, I just didn't sleep very well this last Tuesday. Oh, I mean, it was just, it was horrible. It was just like, it was just like the old days. And it, it was, it was just like the old days, except that the old days might have been like, didn't sleep well on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or all the way through the week until maybe a crash at the end of the weekend or some kind of eventual affront that kind of like, you know, I was able to sleep for a long period of time. You'll see, you'll see people who feel better and better and better and in themselves, understandably so, you know, they're changing one day at a time, they might not recognize that they're sleeping just that much differently. But when you watch from the outside, as a practitioner, you know, one of your jobs, one of our great jobs is to help remember people for themselves. You know, you kind of like track people over time. You can watch as people have more self-regulation, as they're able to make better neuroceptive choices for their lives and things get more consistency of form they're able to do one thing have that thing be itself and then choose the next thing that they're going to do etc etc you'll see people have different sleep eventually better sleep the nervous system i mean who knows maybe there's just so many other things going on but the nervous system the autonomic nervous system is no doubt no doubt a major influence on how well people are sleeping. And if you can help that system get more self-regulation, you can help people get more sleep. It might not be as direct as tactical, strategic, self-care kinds of things. It might not be as immediate as drugs and, you know, kind of aids like that. It might be a longer-term pattern and process. And I'm, I'll name it again. If you help people and their nervous system self-regulate, they will sleep better. I, I'm, I'm understandably convinced about that because it's, it's really there. It's really the truth. Thank goodness for that. Well, my friends, I think that's going to be about all that I need to say about sleep to you. I'm going to share that. Hope that you're all going to sleep well. In fact, if I... I were to say it, I'd tell you like this. They, they translated a phrase that I like for me when I was over in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, the people I was with, they were all French speakers. So here I'll give it to you in French. It goes, Bon rêve avec aventure et le chaud plus simple. And then uh, down in Brazil in Portuguese, I used to say, Eu espero você tenha super boas sonhos como aventuros and in English, in English, it just means, I hope that you have sweet dreams with adventures 
and things more simple. I guess that's uh, all about pendulation. Good night. <laughs>